Let's get it. Welcome everybody to Man vs. World. My name is Mark Quepit. I am joined by Pete, and we are here to help you thrive in this insane modern world, um, particularly you ambitious men out there. That's who we're trying to serve in this work, uh, because you know it's not easy to be an ambitious man today. There's so much out there that just you know fills you with all this longing and desire, but then there's also so much out there that fills you with all this distraction, confusion, uncertainty, and negativity. And so, learning how to actually take advantage of the insane opportunity that exists in this world today is no small feat. So that's why we're here. Talk it all over. Hopefully, offer you some insight on how to pull it off. So, Pete, my friend, how you doing, dude? I'm doing great. How are you, Mark? I'm doing pretty swell. Awesome. Uh, yeah. What do we got going on this week here? So, this first one I wanted to show you is a clip from the Joe Rogan podcast with Jim Gaffigan. And in this clip, Jim is talking about the shift in perspective from your 20s to your 40s. All right, let's check this out. The Joe Rogan experience. Because I have a 19-year-old daughter, and if I brought up the idea of her pursuing a career based on financial security, she would be offended. And I and I say that with a little bit of a joke because I also remember, like, the comedians, people that go into comedy are not like, you know, we didn't know it was going to be this type of business. We went into it because it was creatively fulfilling to get on stage and make strangers laugh. I really didn't care about money. Uh, you know, in my 30s, I remember my parents died and all my siblings came around and we were getting stuff and I was like, I'll take the immigration papers, you guys can have the rest. The point I'm getting to, as you get older, once you get a taste for comfort, mm. it's, you know, because I've tried to articulate to my children, you know, money is about freedom. You know, it's like the freedom to like afford to go on a date you know, comforts. You like comforts, right? Yeah. You don't want to struggle. Right. And you don't want to be scared as to where your next paycheck's coming from. Yeah. I mean, I, I fly, you know, commercial and I fly uh, business class and it's amazing. And I don't, you know, like if I have a gig and they're like, I would have to fly and coach. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he's he speaks the truth in a lot of ways. Like it's uh it's very easy to to end up getting like caught in your uh, your desire for comfort. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I just think it's just kind of the way our brain works. It's like in order for us to leave our comfort zone, we have to have like a really good reason. Like that's kind of it at the end of the day, is that we have to have something that makes it worthwhile. Because like why else would you? 
why else would you just, you know, live a worse life, like a less comfortable life if it didn't actually net you anything? And so, you know, Jim Gaffigan, obviously, he's really successful now. He doesn't have any need to do that gig that he has to, he would have to fly, you know, you know, coach or whatever it is. And so, uh, uh, I think with this kind of stuff, with it, when it comes down to dealing with your comfort, there's like two, two different things that you can utilize to help get out of that comfort zone. So one of them is pain. Okay. Pain is probably like the big driver. That's like, you know, the, uh, the unavoidable call to adventure in life is that if you have something, uh, some part of your life that's extremely painful, then you are going to have to likely venture further into pain in order to make that pain actually get better to actually solve it. And life will do that to you. It'll send you some big bad problems. It'll maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a big financial issue, maybe uh you know you get you get dumped by a girl or whatever it is. Like those kinds of pains, if you lean into them, they can be, you know, like rocket fuel for advancing yourself, for, you know, getting things done and becoming a, a better, more competent, stronger person. And I think that's where a lot of like incredible value in life comes from when, you know, you have these things, they make you stronger, you do develop and, and all that kind of thing. It's like the hardest things in your life are usually the, the, the biggest growth points and that's no secret. But I think it gets tricky when you're actually relatively comfortable in life. You know, it's like nothing really too bad's happening. The guy in that situation, he can really struggle to uh, f- get himself to to be motivated enough to go do anything. It's like he knows in the back of his mind that like this isn't exactly building what he wants in life. He knows that like he's not really getting closer toward anything like more deep and meaningful and that sort of thing. But he doesn't have that pain there pushing him forward. And I think in situations like this, the only like other option for you is, well, I guess there's two options. One is you can just start hating yourself. You know, you could just start berating yourself for being weak and, you know, calling yourself a pussy and and that sort of thing. And there are definitely a, a segment of people out there who they use that approach, but, you know, just making emotional pain where there isn't some just out of like this, uh, you know, self abusive mentality is not something I would generally recommend to people uh, because then even if you do make progress and that sort of thing, it's uh, you're probably still going to have that voice in your head and you're never even going to be able to enjoy whatever progress you make. So uh, what you want to be doing is actually just coming up with incredibly big and compelling goals. Okay, like you want to be able to, you want to start playing around with like what kind of life do you really want the most? And you let your mind like go. You let the dreams like run wild to the point where like you can find something that actually ignites you with passion. And if you can find something like that, well, that actually it creates an attraction, but and it, in turn, it actually ends up creating a, its own sort of pain. You know, that pain of not having that thing that you want, and then that becomes the incentive to leave the comfort zone. And if you do this authentically, you do this naturally, you do this in a uh, you know dignified way. It's a, it's a very powerful thing. It's incredibly powerful where like, you know, you can actually use these moments, these, these periods of calm and comfort in your life as springboards where you can reach for something far greater without 
having some kind of like heavy stone around your neck because it's like you'll have those times too where you've got a big problem and you got to hustle because of it. But like, wow, what if you could leverage those times where things were relatively comfortable? Um, that's a superpower, I think. And the the biggest thing limiting guys on that is that their their dreams are small and uninspiring. So, uh, or they just don't give them enough time and attention to really uh, permeate their motivational circuitry and uh, light them up, I guess. I think the thing that keeps me from doing that more is a fear of disappointment, a fear mm -hmm. of getting it wrong and it's, oh, it didn't work out at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's normal. You know, fear of things like not, was, when you say fear of disappointment, is that more of um like a fear of failure or a fear of like you getting the thing and not actually liking it? I like the distinction between fear of disappointment and fear of failure because I don't consider myself to be afraid of fear or excuse me. I don't consider myself to be afraid of failure per se because failure is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'll fail more than all of you and I'll, you know, crush it and I don't care. You know what I mean? But it's that fear of getting your hopes up and then it's mm. like, oh, it didn't, well, it didn't really work out and maybe it's not even on me, mm. but it didn't work out. And, but I got my hopes up. Mm. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You, you you miss it, and now it's like, oh well, shoot. Okay, I guess that didn't work out. Gotcha. Well, so in that case, like, I think it's more about the way you frame the the goal itself, because if it's if it's about a, a destination, you know, you're trying to get to a specific destination with that big goal. Um, then yeah, I, w I would agree that there's a you know there's a good chance you you end up getting disappointed by that end result. But if instead you make the goal about an act of creation, like it's about the process, it's about the journey that you go on. It's like, I want to live my life this way. Not like so much that I want to get to this point. It's like, I want to live in this way. I want to create this kind of lifestyle. And I think it's in that kind of process that disappointment is far more rare because the 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 journey is the destination. You know, that, that whole cliche sort of thing. It's like you make the uh, the thing you're aiming for, the actual process. And so this is why I think it's so important for guys to find their place where they want to be like useful. It's like figure out how you want to be useful, right? Like what's the work you want to do in this world, okay? That's one big piece of it. And then it's like, you know, you're going to have recreation and downtime, you know, regardless probably unless you're, you know, a some kind of, you know, psychopath workaholic, which some people are, but like most of us are not like that. They don't at least don't want to be like that. We want to have downtime, whatever. And then it's like, okay, well, what quality of downtime do you want? Do you want it just to be, you know, Netflix alone? Or do you want to like have social interaction and family and that sort of thing? It's like more about the lifestyle. If that that like that dream lifestyle, I think is is what to aim for. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So what what would you say is your dream lifestyle? My dream lifestyle is like I'm the uh, the Rick Rubin of uh, self development. It's like you know I've got like this like so you're gonna grow like your beautiful really like retreat. No, I'm not gonna do that. I hate a long beard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like uh, there's this there's beautiful a show scenery. called called Dave. Have you ever heard of it? It's uh, it's like about this like Jewish white like guy who like does like joke rap, but it's kind of like a dramedy show. Um, I think I know anyway, the guy you're talking about. 
yeah, little dicky or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, a lot of it's pretty crude. Uh, so I don't know if you're bothered by that kind of stuff. Don't watch it. But he's got one episode where he supposedly goes to like work with Rick Rubin. And uh, he doesn't even meet Rick Rubin. It's just like, you know, <laughs> his handler's there. And it's just like taking him through like this, you know, spiritual quest of like finding himself as an artist and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so it's like my vision is to kind of be sort of like that not like him but like the the rick rubin in that show to be able to create like a space where i can take incredibly high performers and i can work with them and i can help them find their inner path and i can do it at an incredibly high level i can work with like these extremely high achieving people who have a lot of influence and i can help them do their job better which has like you know the biggest ripple effect possible throughout the world so like that end goal to get to that point of prominence and competence um where I have these high level people coming to me looking to, you know, get get help from me, you know, to transform into that man is uh is currently the the compelling goal. And um, you know, I, I want to create a new culture of masculinity. I want to be able to have one where it's uh like right now like, you know, Andrew Tate is basically the uh most popular male role model right now. And I got a lot of problems with that. Um you know, I think that I was actually, you know, someone was like fighting with me on Twitter about this because I was saying that, like, listen, he's not great, but he's got points. And everyone wants to say, no, he doesn't. He's all bad. 100 percent bad. I was like, well, why is he resonating with so many people? Why right. is he resonating with so many people? It's because he is speaking to some truths that are completely neglected. And we just got like like the people who can see where he's wrong are not producing something better at least not something that's compelling and capturing the hearts and minds you know at a scale that he is and so it's like i i believe firmly that there there needs to be the creation of like a new kind of uh, masculine culture um and so that's like doing all of that that's the vision that i have where it's like because it's like i i growing up it never felt like it was cool to be the kind of guy that I wanted to be. I mean, like, it was mm. cool in the local level. It was, like, among friends and, like, actual interactions with people. It's like, you know, the guy I wanted to be is like, yeah, I could be him. And people liked him. But I didn't see it out in mainstream culture. And I didn't feel called to it at all in mainstream culture. It's like I had, like, this super prude, like, Christian side of things where it was, like, be, like, a, this pussy little nerd. And right. uh, then you'll go to heaven. And then you had like you know growing up, a lot of it was like uh, the the advent of like a lot of hip hop culture and, and stuff like that. And it was like, okay, you're gonna be this tough guy, you know, drug pusher, gangster, or whatever was was kind of like what seemed to be culturally at the time the the cool thing. Or right. you were gonna be like super metro blue pill like boy band thing or something like that. And like all that was gross to me. And so it's like none of that seemed to capture what I was really looking to become. And so, you know, I, I think that that's what we have to arrive at. And um, hopefully we're working toward it. But, uh, you know, and I think about that kind of stuff. It, it fills me with passion. It makes me want to sacrifice. It makes me want to leave my comfort zone. It makes me want to reach that next level, you know? Christianity has certainly been feminized. It's been, all the masculinity seems to have been drained out of any at least the the mainstream you know christian churches it seems like and that's why i think this this thing on the internet has come back of 
kind of saying, you know what, we need to go back. We need to be ortho bros and we need to go be trad and stuff and grow out our beards and do all that kind of stuff. And I can see why. I can see why. It's it's that desire for uh it's that desire to have that masculine part of you, you know, have a purpose. Because otherwise what's the purpose of it? Yeah, but the problem is uh the people doing that, they're doing it like reactively rather than creatively they're just like saying well it's not this and so right. i'm just gonna go back to this instead of actually thinking up something new and so right. it's just like it ends up becoming this like cringy larp fest that like no one really actually finds appealing um and it's you know it's it's lame <laughs> yeah it's, it's just lame and so it had like literally it's like you have to make things cool to get people to like them because you're competing against like cool shit. All right. It's like Andrew Tate. Like, even if you don't like his style or his aesthetic, at least he's got one, you know, and it's his own. Okay. And it's like that, like if you just understand branding and marketing and social media today, like that stuff matters and you can set, you can try and you can rail against it and get all angry and say it shouldn't, but it does. So you got to like learn how to play the game. And what I'm not seeing is a, a form of masculinity that's learned how to play the game. That's really got all the pieces. You've got like edgy, edgy, angry, like red pill shit. And then you've got like, you know, blue pill feminist stuff and it all sucks. And so (laughs) there needs to be uh, something better. And that's really what we're trying to do here. And, uh, you know, we'll be taking that even a few steps further uh, here soon, which I'm very excited for. I stumbled across an unlisted video on YouTube this week from Russell Brunson, who's this internet marketing guy. And at the time, he was working on his expert secrets book, which I believe you read. Wait, how did you how did you get the how did you stumble across an unlisted YouTube video? It was on one of his web pages. If you go deep okay. into one of his funnels, it's on the thank you page, and you can click it, and it takes you to this unlisted YouTube video. And it's titled "One Hundred Thousand Dollar Presentation." Okay. And in this presentation, at the time that he recorded it, he was working on his expert secrets book, and in that book. He was really honing in on how do these cultures get built? What is the way in which you create a mass movement? And he said it really comes down to three things. The first thing is you have to have a charismatic leader. And he says this goes across the board from Hitler to Jesus Christ to everything in between. Mm -hmm. Any any mass movement has these three components. So it was that. I totally forget the second one. That's so funny. But the third one stood out to me. He said most people. Was it try- was it an in group and an out group? I don't think so. Man, no. I forget what it was. Okay. But it, the third one was was particularly interesting to me because the third one was you have to create a new opportunity. And he creates this distinction between an improvement offer and and a new opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And the new opportunity can be, actually, Dean Graciosi broke it down like this. I thought it was really interesting. There's the opportunity switch, which is where you switch opportunity vehicles. And that's Dean Graciosi saying, hey, there's gold in the hills. 
and you're over here working over here and you say, hey, by the way, go to California, there's gold in the hills. And you go, what, there's gold in the hills, I just gotta dig for it? Okay, I'm in. And then when you get there, there's the opportunity stack, which is where you sell the picks and the shovels and the this and the that and you stack them all up together. And so yeah. that's really interesting to me because what a lot of people do is they offer an improvement offer. Hey, it's better. It'll make you better, smarter, faster, stronger, blah, 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 blah. Instead of saying no, it's because for someone to buy that, they have to admit that they're wrong, that they messed up, that they're, they're not good enough to do it. Oh, I failed. So I'm going to take your thing. It'll make me smarter, better, faster. A new, a new opportunity takes that and says, no, no, no. You just need a better vehicle to get to where you want to go. I thought that was really interesting. I think what you're saying is like, like if you just tell people how to improve, you know, that, that people resist that, I think, because like you said, they have to admit that like currently on that path, they're doing it wrong and they need to switch. But when you introduce an entirely new opportunity, you know, there's less of that where it's like, oh, well, I haven't even tried that yet. And so it's more appealing to them is what you're, you're saying, I think. Absolutely. Um, it works. And I think that is, I think that's true uh, to a degree. I don't know if it's so much that people don't want to admit they're wrong, um, at least within the, uh, the masculinity space. Maybe some people do. I just think that uh, it's just like no, there's nothing that's really being painted as truly compelling. It's like that is not of a very worldly uh, materialistic design. Um, there well, you are know some. Interesting. Go ahead. He said, "There's two percent of people who want to improve. Everybody else, they don't want to improve." And so it's kind of interesting because he says, "Well, if as soon as you label it as an improvement offer, you cut ninety-eight percent of your potential customer base." But the funny thing is, if you're niching down and you're looking for guys who do want to improve, then that that two percent is all you need. That's perfect. So anyway, that was that was really interesting. Interesting, huh? Okay. Well, but back to this this comfort thing. There, it uh, it reminds me of um, my time in the Boy Scouts actually, because we had this uh, this summer camp retreat where we got into canoes at four in the morning and we paddled across this lake and we got to this island and it was for the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge. I remember which which merit badge it was, and we had to build a fort. And then we slept in that, slept in that fort that night. And then we got up early again the next day and we canoed back. And I was like, huh, that wasn't that bad. Like I thought it was going to be terrible, but you can kind of learn to enjoy discomfort if, if, if you frame it the right way, I think, I don't know. What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, like there was also another piece of that, that was really uh, important there, which is the, the social component, like the, the social component is so powerful in terms of like performing and doing difficult things. Like honestly, like I actually, I just did this yesterday. I went for a a run with one of my, my best friends and uh, we just did kind of like a low, like zone two cardio, like uh, about a four, about four miles. But like we were running slow enough so that we could talk the whole way. And it just, it just flew by. It was just, it was great because we could chat you know, and like we did it together. Like, you know, and and when I first started lifting, for example, I lifted with buddies in college and it was like the best time. 
And if I had like when I would try and do it myself or whatever, especially when I was new, it just felt uncomfortable. I was uncertain. I was, you know, feeling insecure. I was just like this tall, lanky dude with zero upper body strength, like struggling to to bench 95 pounds. And, you know, it 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 was hard. Um, but when you add this social component to things, it really does just unlock your power because we are we're, we're pack animals. Right. We have a limbic system basically the same as like chimpanzees and it, which is not too different from like dogs and wolves and stuff like that who are also all pack animals it's like if you can learn how if you can bring other people into your journey um then that makes it so much easier so you and that that boy scout thing you're doing it with all with like i imagine you're good friends with a lot of the guys in your troop is that right right yeah so it's like that makes it so much more fun so that's probably the the biggest secret lever for venturing outside your comfort zone is if you do it with people, you know, find yourself a community, find yourself friends, get yourself a coach. Literally, it literally just takes one other person's brain to be plugged into your process to like unlock a whole different level of performance from you. So, you know, it's, it's, I always try and I, I, I think about that a lot um, just because, you know, we run our community and self mastery club and, you know, I brought you on, I got Luke and Derek and like, you know, these guys, like we've got a great team and it makes it so much easier to keep striving ahead, especially during doing the difficult work of figuring out how to scale a business and do all this kind of complex stuff. It's like when you've got good people around you, man, it makes things so much easier. My buddy, I was just talking to him on the phone yesterday and uh, he's in the Coast Guard Academy and, you know, the Coast Guard gets ragged on pretty good. They're they probably get teased on the most out of all the branches but he was telling me what his boot camp experience was like and i was like man that was that's way harder than i thought it would be they had to do this thing where everybody has to be at a certain place at a certain time and if you're one minute late if one person is late it's like everybody was late you know what i mean Hmm. and uh they have to (laughs) had to show up somewhere um in a certain kind of uniform to work out but one person was late so they had to go back change out of their workout stuff into their normal stuff or vice versa i forget which which order it was then they had to bring their other uniforms back and they had to change put one uniform over the other one at a time and the catch was they had to hold their water bottle or something out everybody who wasn't putting their uniform on had to hold their water bottle out like this. Now, this doesn't seem hard to do, right? But it took 45 minutes or something for them all to put their uniforms on one at a time. It was a squad of like 40 guys. And so he's just standing there trying like it. I don't know if you guys have ever done like a static hold with just a little yeah. bit of weight, but it is hell. It doesn't take long. That's rough. It's terrible. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is the most painful experience going through boot camp that I've ever gone through. But you know what? He had his guys and he's, and he right. said on the phone, he said, and his voice was trash too, because you have to yell everything. He yeah. sounded like a smoker. He sounded like my, the, my buddies who smoke, but he doesn't smoke. And he sounded like a completely different person, but he was trying to wheeze out and tell me that, you know what? The, the plus side of this though, is going through all this, this crap with these guys is brought us together. Like it's, it's crazy. 
yeah, how I much mean, they get brought together. They do that on purpose, you know. That's that they've they've had stuff like this for you know as long as we can remember, like these rites of initiation where you do something really hard with the other member male members of the tribe or whatever, and it, it bonds you together. I mean, it's this still basic operative thing inside of military groups and even just college fraternity hazing and shit. It's just like they put you yeah. through this, you know, garbage experience, and then you bond together. You know, even sports and stuff like, you know, they have, you know, preseason training and they, you know, they put you through two a days and all this kind of thing. And it's, it's true. And you, you, you form, you form this like shared bond of camaraderie because of the suffering. And it's like suffering will individually make you better and stronger if you face it. And then it'll also improve your relationships if you go through suffering together with people. So, you know, it's it's interesting how it, it kind of has that uh, carryover through pretty much everything. And uh, I, I imagine, well, I guess I'm certain it, it does through even, um, you know, societies at large. Like, society today is different because of COVID. You know, we all went through this, like, wild, weird thing together. Um, and it'll continue to be like this as as society, like, has these massive upheavals, which hopefully don't really happen like COVID again. But <laughs> if they do, then we will see massive consciousness shifts like because of it. Because that's like, when you face pain, you are forced to reevaluate everything that you think because you're, you're like pain. You're going to scan everything when you're in pain to figure out what can change so this pain can stop. And, you know, I think a lot of people, they woke up in in covid because like you know covid sucked and like we all a lot of people started to wake up and say well why are we doing this like who what's this who's causing this why do we all need to get this shot and like the you know it forces a, a, an awakening of consciousness so pain is a great awakener um i think jordan peterson jordan peterson says that like you know the initial consciousness of um you know, like, like the, a lot of, like, the, I think this is one of his points was that like the, the, the apple in the garden of Eden is basically like self-consciousness, like self-awareness. And that like the only thing that can like, that like brought us to that, like took us out of bliss and into, um, like this self-consciousness was, was something painful. And he, he thinks it was actually like the, uh, the rejection of a woman, you know, like this, uh, this kind of, you know, conflict with the with the feminine that is what like spurned the awakening uh, in humanity or something like that. I, it was one of his points I heard a long time ago, but I think it was something along those lines where it's like, you know, you have this event in life, like you have your first big pain. For a number of people, it'll be like their first breakup, or maybe it's like your parents breaking up or something like that, and then all of a sudden, like. Everything kind of changes. Something something cracks. You know the 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 peaceful childhood world is no longer there, and you have to like put yourself back together. And um, you know you can lean into that process, and as you put yourself back together, you are stronger. You get become stronger to the point where that same thing that broke you before can't break you again. Um, or you just keep burying the pieces of yourself, and uh, you become uh, even more broken. So you know. Obviously, we want to be going the first way, but it's uh, the only way you can do that is if you face the pain, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it takes a certain level of maturity to do that, I think. But, you know, I was I was listening to uh, the, the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia. I think it's the first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I hadn't listened to that book 
for a long, long time. The last time I listened to that story, I was much younger, and so I forgot most of it. And it, it stirred up so much, but I go, you know what? If I had a magical wardrobe that I could step into it at any time, I would have to, uh, I'd have to go through the suffering of, wait a second, I'm lost in the woods and it's snowy and I don't know how to get back, and I'd have to actually be there and do it. And I have to actually not know where I was. And I'd have to actually go, is this Mr. Beaver guy on our team? I don't know if he's on our team or not. And I'd have to go run and be chased down by wolves in real life. That sounds painful. Like, I don't actually want to do that. I'd much rather just listen to the book. You know what I mean? Right. But we have that right. opportunity, I feel like, in real life to go through an adventure that's actually real. But it the pain is real too. You can't really escape that part of it. Right. And so that kind of brings us back to that first whole point that we were talking about is like, you know, how do we get ourselves out of this comfort zone? And it's like, for most of us, I think we actually have all the pain we need to move where we need. It's just that we, we don't give that pain the light of day. We bury it down. And by doing that, you're robbing yourself of kind of like the orienting force in your life. Like your pain is the orienting force of your life. And even the things that you want the most, those are their, are their own kind of pain because it's like you, that's what desire is. Desire is pain. <laughs> desire is not comfortable. Desire is literally like this, I want it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's like, if you, you bury that pain down, then you're never going to be inspired. But if you bring it to the surface, then that is kind of like the map of your life adventure, you know, that, that existential angst that's floating around that, uh, you know, free floating anxiety in the back of your mind. Like if you start bringing this stuff to the surface, it'll start to take form. It'll start to take shape. You'll be able to start like, um, nailing it down to something specific because I think a lot of reason, the reason why a lot of guys don't touch that stuff is because they touch it. They don't understand it. It just seems like too scary, too big. And they would just shut it back away. But if you bring it to the surface, yeah, you will be lost for a while. There will be, you know, chaos in your mind as you don't really know how to handle these desires, like what to do with them, how to, uh, you know, orient yourself and, you know, figure out what to uh, aim for. But as you stumble around in the dark enough, you, you bang your face off of like walls and, you know, stub your toe and you do all these things, eventually you start to get a lay of the land. It's almost like, you know, we're all stumbling around in the dark. And if you just like feel everything out along, long enough, you'll start to actually create like a mental map of your pain. And that starts to give you some clarity. Cause you're like, Oh, actually there's a, there's a part over here where there's openness. There's something here. There's, there's, there's maybe a little flicker of light and you can start moving toward it. It's just like, you have to be willing to enter into this state of confusion. I call it an, um, you know, my, my reforged man course, the liminal state, it's this state of accessing your uncertainty and your desires and your pains, but not yet knowing like what the solution is. It's like, you're, you're wandering around this like maze of hallways and you don't know which way to go. But the only way that you can figure out which way to go is to wander around. You have to literally map it out. And if you're willing to do this, you know, and you're willing to, to brave the, uh, 
the the scary things that you might find in there well then you also gain access to all the treasures and you know the unique experiences that you will find and like it's this process of doing this like this is what it means to become yourself it's the adventure of becoming who you're meant to be is like bringing all of that pain down here that's like your blueprint for living your best life if you learn how to interact with it you don't want to be afraid of it you want to delve into it and you know there's an art to this you don't want to drown yourself you know if, like for some people especially you got a lot of trauma and shit like that if you bring that all out to the surface and you don't have any support system in place like you just might you know set yourself backward a little bit so you take out you know a chunk that you can handle you know you maybe you, you minimize it to one area of your life at a time and you start working through it and you know chances are you're going to find the keys that you find in one area they're going to unlock doors in other areas you know i see this all the time with guys who um they get fit you know they just they focus on their their fitness and health first and they find keys in that domain that they can then go use in the career domain so like maybe they find the ability to to be disciplined and to like do uncomfortable things through fitness and health and then they can take that and they can go you know, start a business or something like that, or, or go and, you know, start asking girls out and that sort of thing, like things that they weren't able to do before. Um, you know, this, and this can happen in all different areas of life is that like, just find that most throbbing pain point, bring it to the surface and start working on it. And if you do that, well, then eventually you're going to clear that up and then you're going to move on to the next pain point. Like that's what a, that's what having a quest in your life is. It's just a big problem that you're willing to take on. And the more like you you make that your modus operandi, uh, the the more that your brain and body gets conditioned for it, right? Like your brain and body will get conditioned for uncertainty. It will get conditioned for long amounts of focus. It'll get conditioned for hard work and setback, so that these things actually stop bothering you so much, and you can then take on bigger and bigger goals more and more comfortably. Right on, man. Right on. All right. So this next topic I want to bring up to you today is a tweet that you put out about a week ago. And you said, sometimes asking just a little bit more from yourself is harder than asking 10 times more. Could you break down uh, why that's the case? Yeah. Um, you know, I think his name's Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Um, he has a book out. I think it's called like your 10x self. Um, I haven't actually read the book. I've mostly been getting this stuff through uh, for, through Derek, um, uh, my business partner in this. But um, I, I watched a video of him, and he he talks about it pretty clearly. He talks about like most people when they are like they they, they conceptualize themselves and they map their path through life. What they have is they've got we've all got this like past self, which is like our memories. We've got our present self, and then we've got our our future self, like the person that we want to be. And he says that most people, what we do is we uh, we have our past inform our present and then have our present inform our future. So basically, it's like you look at the person that you have been and then from that person that you have been, you construct your idea of who you are. And from that idea of who you are, you think about who you want to be. And this seems pretty straightforward, but the problem is this locks you into incremental improvement. So this is like where you're, you're, it's like, all right, well, I've been like a total like lazy bum. Um, and so like, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of still like climbing my way out of that. And so I think of my future self and I think of, okay, well, who do I want to be? Well, I want to be a little better than this. That's what seems realistic. Like when I take into account who I've been in the past and everything like that, I mean, I can, I can definitely do a little bit better. You know, I'll do, I'll do better. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm going to get one level better. 
okay? And the problem with this approach is that one, it's not that much better, and two, you're constantly wearing your past as this anchor, and not just like, you know, bad memories, I'm talking about just your old thought patterns, your own belief, old belief systems, your old habits, everything like that is really wired more to your, toward your past self, and so you're constantly in this state of pulling against this inertia and conditioning that you've developed throughout your life to try and become incrementally better, okay? And yeah, you can get incrementally better, but it's slow. And, um, you know, it's, you know, the question is, will you get to somewhere you really like by the end of your life at that pace? And so what he recommends then is we want to actually shift this. You don't want to just become a little bit better. You want to actually try and aim to be like, you know, you're 10 times better. You know, this is Grant Cardone's big on this, you know, the 10 X principle and that sort of thing. Um, and so it's like, what does that really mean? Well, that's a, a shift in the way you conceptualize yourself. It's like instead of having your past inform your present, which informs your future, we want to actually focus on that future self. We want to focus on who do you most want to be? Who do you absolutely most want to be? You know, the, the wildest dream version of yourself. And you take that person and use that person to inform who you are now. And then from there, you then rewrite your past perception of yourself. And so it's like you're rewriting those past events to serve that future self that you want to be. It's basically you're rewriting your past to be like an origin story. You're rewriting your past to be like, you know, this is how I gained this power and this is how I gained this motivation and this strength and this etc. rather than, you know, looking at the past and like trying to just like be okay with the hardships that you experienced or the mistakes you made. It's like you're actually looking at your past as an entirely valuable resource. So anyway, like when you do it like this, you aim so much higher, okay? And it allows you to transform so much more rapidly because you're not just letting yourself be, uh, like your frame is not dominated by the past. It's not dominated by who you have been. Because like if you think about, um, you know, your ideal your truest ideal self, it's like how much of that person are you currently? Probably like, I mean, like maybe like 20%, you like 20% of the current you would show up in your total ideal self. And so like this, this uh, Benjamin Hardy guy, his, his whole point is that if we, if that's true, you know, our future self has only like a little bit of who we currently are then we have to be like operating from a different frame than like the person we've been because otherwise it's like you know we're going to just we're going to be like the same <laughs> functioning off of this like old person and that yeah. old person doesn't fit in this new person so it's got to be top down it's got to be future to present to past and if you can do that then you're going to move a lot quicker you're going to make much bigger jumps and it is actually going to be easier than if you're just fighting against uh you know your 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 past conditioning so um you know it, i would say this shows up too in in other ways like when you set super big ambitious goals it forces you to completely reevaluate things it forces you to completely like like find an entirely different path because if you're continuing on your same path, well, yeah, you can do incremental improvement. And in fact, that's the only kind of improvement that you can do. But if you go to the drawing board and you say, no, we're going to have to like to get all the way up here, we got to scrap everything that we've got. Then that allows you to like, it's kind of like this, this, you know, entering into this 
blank canvas sort of mode where you can completely retool things. So, um, in my opinion, like, yeah, it, uh, it ends up being easier when you aim bigger because you're not so restricted by like what's currently only partially working or not working. I love things like this that force you to think way bigger than you've been thinking. You know, another one yeah. that just came up for me was I was watching this video from Alex Ramosi and it was, it was about a year old, but at that time he said that the last five years, you know, a year ago, he paid $22 million in taxes and he's paid a million dollars or something trying to find the right, you know, the right gimmick that will allow him to pay less in taxes. And so he spent all this time, he spent all this research and he put together this massive presentation and he said, the big conclusion is pay your taxes. I was like, wait, what? I thought you spent a million dollars trying to figure out how not to pay taxes. And he goes, yeah, just pay them. Because he said people who get too caught up in thinking about saving 30%, they're too busy thinking about that to think, how do I make 30 times more money? Which is way, way more powerful. And in that presentation, it was really interesting. He kind of broke down all the math. And basically, at the end of the day, it works out to that what you build builds your net worth, not what you make in income. And so he said, you know what, just build big businesses and you'll be fine. That's why all the richest people, or at least a lot of them, live in California and live in New York. It's because they're focused on making 30 times more money, not saving 30%. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the difference between playing offense and playing defense. You know, that, that's is. the heart of it is like offense wins in a game with no time limit. Offense always wins. And we see this like, you know, practically speaking, when it comes to making money, okay, like your best bet is just figure out how to make more money rather than focusing on saving. Now, this is in a lot of ways limited to people who are willing to creatively pursue money. You know, if you're someone who is, you know, dead set on being a wage earner, um, then yeah, you you're probably gonna have to focus on the budget somewhat if if the if money's tight. And, you know, even you know, even if you are a business owner, you still have to look at your budget sometimes. But like really the bulk of your energy, if you are a very ambitious guy, it should be about how can I make more? Now, it fits here, but it also like this idea fits also culturally, I think. You know, I think that there are so many uh, guys today who are just um, they're just playing defense like especially in like the conservative space like it's it's just more about like reactivity and uh like ben shapiro reacting to tiktoks or like people like talking about oh it's such clown world huh i'm gonna make another sarcastic video about like what biden's doing and like shit like that it's like no we have to actually proactively create a better world like same with the masculinity things like, okay yeah you can criticize Andrew Tate all you want but are you making a better more compelling male role model if not then like you know not shut up but kind of shut up because it's like <laughs> where's the offense here and then even just on the spiritual level like as Christians uh you know we're supposed to play offense you know I know not everybody's a Christian who listens to this but like that's the idea is like you like goodness is spouse is supposed to go out and conquer in the name of goodness. And if you don't do that, uh, then your, 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 your aim is completely off. You're playing a losing game, no matter how you go about it. So always play offense. 
every single day. Even if you have to play defense in some regard, play it offensively to the point where it's like you know you you're only doing it as a short term tactic to get yourself back on the uh, you know the in the vanguard, charging the front line. So I think that that mentality, almost more than anything else, is like the ultra abundant mentality is this idea that there's always more if you keep driving forward. And if you don't do that, then, uh, yeah, you're sunk pretty much. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Gates are not very offensive. They're rather defensive. So it's almost implies that we're supposed right. to storm them. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's like, that's what it means to, to be good. In my opinion, it means to go into an area that there is darkness, there's chaos, there's dysfunction, and you create fruitful order in it. And this exists in those dark spots in your mind. It exists in those dark spots in your lifestyle. It exists in the dark spots in your family, in your career, and in the world at large. It's like, go charge that, you know, like go fight the demons in those areas, defeat them, and bring goodness to bear. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how to go about playing defense offensively because I do believe it's true that you can do that. And, you know, I liken it. I'm very good at it with basketball. When I play basketball on defense, I play on offense and people get very annoyed and rightly so because I'm kind of I'm kind of a jerk. But there is a way to play defense offensively. And yes, there is. I, the closest thing that makes it work in my head is um, just treating that defensive stuff that you got to kind of take care of. Just, I think, uh, I think Dan John is a great way of looking at this too, because he says, you know, it's like I'm like a shark. Anything that just pops up that it's like a defensive thing, I just kill it as quickly as possible. And uh, it makes me think of I had a dog growing up named Buddy, and we had chickens, and. Uh, Buddy on a chicken is something to see. Let me tell you, he will eat the whole thing, the bones, the feathers. There won't be a feather out there. You'll just find maybe the beak in the dirt. That's it. That's all that's left. And I'm like, you know what? That's what I want to be like. I want to be like Buddy on a chicken. That, that's that's my goal. <laughs> With like the, the defensive stuff you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like. It's like you get into semantics a little bit, but it's like, you know, the, so you, everyone's got chores, okay? Everyone's yeah. got, you know, stuff that's like routine that you have to take care of. And it feels like you're basically playing defense because it never goes away. It can't be like completed. Like for me, email is like that. Right. Email is never going to go away. I'm never going to have inbox zero permanently. So it's something that's always going to come in. But it's like what you want to do is you want to think about, all right, well, how do I move this out of the way? Or how do I organize this in a way in which I can just like bang it out and then create space for the offensive activities you know like just a, like for example like mondays a lot of mondays is me just clearing stuff out so that the rest of the week can be focused on offensive work and i think that a lot of people have this and you need to do this in different areas of life like maybe you've got this big business goal you got to take care of, but you got this other financial thing you got to take care of first and maybe you got to really kind of get your health in a better position first or whatever it's like just do that go conquer those things first move them out of the way get them good enough and then go on to the big thing. Don't get don't get caught up in trying to be this uh, defensive master. I guess like that's just uh, you're gonna get stuck. You know, it's like if you get like I'm speaking of basketball. It's like all right, go for the steal rather than just like trying to not let them buy you. That's what I do. 
Yeah, almost to a fault. And there's this one big guy who walked into the to the court, and um, he had a bunch of big guys with him. And we had this ragtag group of little guys like me, and uh, we're like, okay, we gotta we gotta beat these guys. And five of us, so we were running fives. And Brandon, poor Brandon, I'm so sorry, Brandon. He went up for a shot, and I accidentally smacked him in the face while he was going because I'm like my eyes were just trained to the ball and he goes up. I'm like, I see an opportunity. So I go for it. I smack him in the face. So just be careful not to do that. He was nice. Thankfully he didn't, <laughs> he didn't start a fight, but it could have. Um, but that's the attitude I like to have is I'm going to steal this basketball from you and I'm probably going to travel on the way back, putting it in and you're going to have to call it cause I'm not going to do it for you. <laughs> All right. Well, I know that I'm a better basketball player than Pete, so that that I, I can't wait to uh, play one on one one day. Right now, let's right go. Right now, all right. <laughs> Come on over. All right, let's do it. <laughs> uh, well, I have something else we talk about. I think we're at about. I, I, should we save it or should we dive in? Let's go dive in. Like play an offense here. We don't need to. We don't need to play scarcity mindset. All right, let's do it. All right, so here's here's the last thing I wanted to show you today. Well, actually, it's your own tweet, so you should be pretty familiar with it. But it's this uh, this image that Carrie Your Cross posted, and I'll put it up on the screen for you video watchers. But for the audio listeners, I'll try to explain it really quickly. So on the left slide, you got Joel Osteen, and at the bottom of the text that's over Joel Osteen, you say, it says, I am pos- prosperous, I am wealthy, I am attractive. <laughs> And then you have on the right, you have Paul, the apostle, and it just says, I am wretched. So you replied to this tweet. What was your reply, Marco? I was basically saying like, you know, people don't really know like what to make of this. It's like on one hand, we've got this kind of like positive psychology thing where it's like, I'm all these nice things. I repeat these affirmations. I make myself feel good about myself. But then we've got kind of like this old school um, religious sentiment that really is like brutally self-deprecating. And you can you can read about it in a lot of the, the lives of the saints and really in the, the biographies of a lot of great high performing people. You know, they, you can see how hypercritical they are of themselves. Um, you know, everyone from saints to, to Michael Jordan. Um, and it's like, how do we deal with this? Like, what's the the right way? What's the right balance? Like, do we be super, you know, happy and positive and, you know, that sort of thing? Or are we supposed to be this hypercritical um, person? And I think that, like, the, the key to nailing this down is understanding the separation between your objective status and any sort of endeavor and your inherent dignity, okay? Like, your inherent dignity, like, if you lean into that, you believe then that you are inherently good, like like perfectly good in a sense. Like your life is good in and of itself, and nothing can make it worth more or less in a like deep existential spiritual level. Now, so that's what I think. Like that's where like you can have positivity. You can say, you know, this is you know, there's there's you know, there's goodness and stuff inside of me and all that kind of thing. But then, on an objective level you're probably severely lacking, um, like in some very key ways. I know I am um, in a lot of key ways, you know, both morally, financially, physically, like all of these things. Like I can, I can nitpick, you know, there's big ones, little ones, all kinds of, you know, complaints I could have about myself. And it's like, I think 
that what we need to do is have both. Okay, it's like you need to have this total connection to your own worth and dignity so that you can properly love yourself. And you need that because if you lose that, then you lose your justification for sacrificing for your own benefit. You lose your justification to face discomfort and improvement. Because if you're just a piece of shit, then why the hell would you face, you know, would you even, why the hell would you even be present with yourself? Why wouldn't you just like fall into, you know, self-obliterating escapism? Why wouldn't you just kill yourself? Like that's what people who kill themselves do. They just they lose connection to their own sense of value, um, and so we need that, and that has to be very strong and like you know very positive and good. But we can't just have that because we live in a like you know uh, world where cause and effect matters. <laughs> okay, it's like you do need to have objective standing objective levels of competence in certain areas if you want to live a functionally happy life. And so I think that there's there's a big issue with people like coming to terms with both of these things and, and truly synthesizing them. Because it's not like one or the other. You don't want to be entirely self-deprecating. You don't want to be entirely like self-inflated. And both of these things even have their own tactical advantages at different times and in different ways. But I think that for the average guy today, he um, he really struggles to find his path through this internal dialogue, and he often gets like off base, either going like way too far in one way or the other. I think if you look at what Paul was talking about in context, at least to me, it's pretty clear that he was talking about his body, his physical temple here on earth. It's what he resided in, and it's what the Spirit of God resided in within him. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so I think well, when it's you, really when, easy. When, when, when Paul says body, I think he's also saying his, he's referring to his mind and passions as well. I think he's referring yeah, to like... renewed mind. Yeah, he's like referring to yeah. like the fact that like, you know, this is where the idea of like concupiscence comes from. This idea that like you have a tendency to pursue what is expedient rather than is what what is ultimately good. And so it's like, you know, there like there is a a tension inside of you where it's like one part of you wants to just do the thing that feels good now and the other part of you wants to like man, I would love to be this incredible, awesome, super disciplined, you know, holy guy or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it's like the, I think that people, yeah, that was just one point. Go ahead. No, that is true. And he says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's clear that he's also talking about the soulish mind, heart, emotions as well. That's not, that's not entirely transformed. Like, I don't know about, about you guys, but you know, I've lived very non-Christian. I've lived very Christian. And when you live Christian, your, your thoughts don't just automatically magically change. It's yeah. not just like you snap your fingers and all of a sudden, Oh, I'm a Christian now. I never have a bad thought ever in my life. If that's you, I'm jealous. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you have to go through this process, but it's, it's so easy 
to get caught up in thinking that you are only what you can see or only what you can smell and taste and feel and all this stuff using your physical carnal senses. Right. To say, this is me. I'm this. I'm this. And I think it's important to not think of that as you, but to think of that. Well, George MacDonald, I have a quote here from George MacDonald, who's the premier influence of C.S. Lewis. And he said, things are given us this body first of things that through them, we may be trained both to independence and true possession of them. We must possess them. They must not possess us. I absolutely love that because it's really easy to think that, oh, just because I'm, just because my body wants to eat ice cream, just because my body wants to eat the never-ending tin of Turkish delight, bringing it back to Narnia, doesn't mean that that's what I want. Right. It's not what I truly want, at least. Right. And so it's like, it's like, who are we? It's like, we've got all these different sub-personalities. We've got all these different warring desires and intentions and stuff floating around inside of us. And I think really what we are, like in a, a like the deepest sense, is that we are that point of intersection where these things meet. It's like, we are the synthesis of these like warring tensions. Or maybe what we could say is that we are the, uh, like the human consciousness, the, the, the soul or whatever is the part of us that undergoes the pain of bringing these things into some sort of harmony. And so it's like, whenever we have like a, an impulse or desire inside of us, we have to check to see if there's a a piece of authenticity in it, you know, and we have to integrate it. So it's like, for example, Okay, like it can go in both ways. So I'll give you two different extremes. One extreme is you are, uh, you know, being real lazy, being real indulgent. Okay, and there's this part inside of you that doesn't want to be doing that. Okay, you need to test that. You need to tap into that part and be like, well, is there any truth to that? If there is, then your job is to reach into that fragment, grab that truth, and figure out how could I integrate that into my life. What's the way in which the rest of me is willing to integrate it. And usually that doesn't mean a wholesale adoption of like, you know, complete life turnaround. Usually it just means like, well, I'm going to actually become just a, you know, I'm, I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to become less uh, extremely indulgent. You know, I'm going to take this fragment that wants to be less indulgent and I'm going to integrate that. I'm going to become less indulgent. Um, but it can also go in the opposite way. It's like you can be working your ass off, being super, super productive, but then you've got this part inside of you. It's like, oh man, I want to, I want to break. I want to relax. Right. I want to have some fun. And so it's like, you got to reach in that. Okay, well, what what's the authentic way to honor that? And so it's like, we are kind of like this, this thing in the center that's pulling from all these different thoughts and impulses and stitching together a path of life. And, you know, it's, I think most of us, we just, we're disconnected from a lot of those strands. And the biggest one, like the, the there's like, there's really like four big pieces and this is what's going to be going into a new model and a new guide that's going to be coming out here soon. It's like, you've got your future self, your ideal future self. That's one piece. You've got your past self. This is your conception of who you are and who you have been. And then you've got the two things that balance your, your transition from your past to your future. And that's your instinct and intellect. And if you can bring all of these pieces together, what you're going to be able to do is actually stitch together a path towards your ideal future self that you will fully agree with and resonate with. The problem is most people, they try and like 
build a path, especially ambitious guys, they try to build a path to that future self without accounting for the full web of their consciousness. And so they create this lopsided attempt where they repress all these other parts that seem just too troublesome to deal with. And they're just going to white knuckle their way through it and just become that better person. And guess what? It doesn't work. Because that's there's not enough power there. There's too much opposing force. There's too much internal conflict. And so even if they make a little bit of progress, eventually it's all going to get washed away. And so it's like you have to learn how to find that path that is natural to you. And even like like that that makes sense that you can resonate with. And I think that's really the the key at the heart of this um, is learning how to to navigate the truth from every part, like every voice inside of you, and then burn away all the parts that are lies or unhelpful or inauthentic. A double-minded man is unstable in, his, in all his ways. So if you have these different things contending and you haven't settled, you haven't settled it, you're going to be unfocused. Yeah. Because part of you is going to be over here and part of you is going to be over here. That makes sense. And it, it seems like that would just take practice of getting good at finding that true desire in all the weeds. Yep. You know, you have this desire for rest and relaxation. You have to find that, but it doesn't just tell you that. Right. That's and it doesn't problem. tell you what feeling. It doesn't tell you what true rest and relaxation looks like for you either. Right. And that answer might change and shift. And it's so it's like there's right. a it's a constant tracking. It's like we are constantly hunting down ourselves. <laughs> it's yeah. like moment to moment you're trying to find yourself and like you know they i think the key to that ultimately is is a divine thing is a spiritual thing i believe that like god is love and it's like through learning how to navigate what is real love moment to moment we're actually what we're really discovering is who am i truly moment to moment what is what is the most true version of me because the most true version of you i would argue is the greatest version of you it's also the version you most want to be and it's also the most loving and i would also argue that that then when you live that path that is god literally entering the world through you and so it's like that's what i think the path of personal development really is yeah and that and a lot of people would look at that and say that that's too good to be true that can't be the case if i truly i truly want all this stuff that's really good for me you know that just seems that 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 just seems like like too good and and then that if you feel that way then you know that you don't actually believe that you're inherently good yeah and i mean also it's just, i think people struggle to uh when they have ob- they have desires that they feel are objectively bad they don't know how to reconcile that and so in, in those kinds of circumstances, what I, I think is going on there is that uh, you have to realize that you can only want good things. At the end of the day, you can only want good things, but you can want them in bad ways. So, for example, you know, a guy who's hooked on porn, what he wants is sexual relief. He wants to feel a feeling of peace. He wants to feel like, you know, have a feeling of being valuable. He wants to, you know, m- maybe not feel lonely. Um, all of those things. Those are good things to want. That's ultimately what he wants. Problem is, yeah. uh, he's doing it in a dysfunctional way. So I'd say even someone who wants to like murder other people, like even like the you know who's who's planning on going in and shooting up a school, okay, that person usually what they want they want like retribution, they want like some kind of justice or or you know feeling like there's a, a balancing the world because they feel like the it's been so imbalanced against them, it's so, been so fair. So they're looking for ultimately like a justice, like a weird justice and like a. Which is just as a good thing. You know, we want justice. 
but he's pursuing it in a, in a horribly dysfunctional way. And so it's like when you realize that all your desires work like this, all your desires are ultimately good at the core, then you can realize, oh, I'm good. And it's just a matter of taking all the desires that go in a million different directions, finding the core of goodness and starting to stitch them together. And it's like that part of you that can sense what is good, that part of you that can choose to sacrifice a lesser good for a greater good and, and experiences that pain, the part of us that feels that pain, that's really us. And it's like the more you do that, the more you do that, the, the brighter your spirit burns, the more you burn. And that, that burn, it, it, it's what sheds, it's what melts all the parts of you that are inauthentic and not really you. And you just become a more pure, like clean, vibrant you know, evolved version of yourself as you undergo this process. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you for hanging with us this whole time. We really appreciate it. Go ahead and check out the links below in the description. Go ahead and get on the mailing list if you haven't already. And will there be anything else under there that they should check out? Um, well, we can throw the momentum method in there. That'd be good. And uh, yeah, we'll have a new guide here coming along soon too. And if we have that finished, that might even be in there. But otherwise, it'll probably be in the next Man vs. World. So yeah, my friends, thanks so much for hanging out. Ooh, yeah. See you on the next one.